Hello. Hello. We are tech savvy today and we are podcasting. Oh boy. <sighs> Amazing how that happens. Yeah, no, right. Um so just to get started, um, let's state the most obvious. You are biologically my first cousin. Our fathers are brothers. That's correct. And um what else would you like to share as we get started um, before we actually dig into some um, deep thought stuff? Good that we kind of explain um, our connection and how we are able and have pretty much always had these conversations. Um, well, it's not too much about myself. I mean, we are cousins and um, let's see, we grew up probably... 500 or so miles apart, me being in Tennessee, me being in Ohio, and so we've pretty much always had long-distance conversations, you know, over the phone and things like that, but um, our conversations have always been, how can I say, um, not for the faint of heart and not for the intellectually shallow. Uh, Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that probably pretty much sums it all. Yeah. Um, I think most people would just, I think I would compare our conversations to an episode of Frasier. Or you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but now this is uh, not too much about myself that, uh, I mean, you know, I teach uh, high school English and I was um, recently promoted to uh, assistant principal. Yes, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. It was sort of expected, unexpected, but um, it happened. So thankful for that. And um, my vacation was cut short. First time in what? Oh, 12, no, I'm sorry, 17 years that I actually was going to have a two-month vacation. And it was cut short because I got a promotion. I had to be back to work Monday. So just not meant to be, just yeah. not meant to be. <laughs> you are meant to work. Yeah. I often <laughs> tell people that uh, I probably won't re- retire. You'll just find me slumped over in my chair at work. You know, you know uh, that I was trying to explain so, to somebody the the ending of Cadillac Records, um, you know, where he, he attempts to drive down the street and he doesn't make it to the intersection. Right. Um, you know, it's that kind of um, connection and passion for what you do that really makes a difference. Right. Um, I, 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 you know, I tell people all the time, the Friday before my father passed, he was still working on final details children because that's just what he did for um, and I think when you have something that you truly are um, engaged and passionate about, um, it right. shows. Um, and amazingly, it is in the context of my father, I think, you know, one of the things we did as children, we spent a lot of time in the summers mm-hmm. together. And I don't think anybody would, would argue that my father's passion was working with young right. people. Um, 
And in that context, I think he kind of paid it forward because I work with children now that we're the adults. It's kind of interesting um, how those seeds were planted in us um, and shaped the work that we do. Um, and even theology, I think theology, we were, we were raised in a very, um, how would you say, um, invested in belief system family. Yeah, yeah I would um, say that's true. Um, our family, um, I don't, I, I can't remember a time um, when we're, we were together as a family that wasn't, uh, the event wasn't somehow revolved around church or um, some other expression of uh, the Christian faith. Um, even when it was just, you know, a family get together that, that was sort of the, the center of the, uh, of the experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I would dare say uh, family events had just as much potential to turn into a picnic as they did Bible study. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right. um, so that's kind of par for the course. And I, I don't, I quit trying to keep count of how many people in our family are in ministry. So, <laughs> right. Um, in some, you know, shape, form, or fashion, um, the distinction, and I want to get to the distinction that you and I have um, from some of the others in the family. We are first cousins, mm-hmm. and we are both seminary graduates. Right. Um, we went to different seminaries at different times, because I think you went uh, at least two or three years before right. I did, I think. Um. And so in framing our conversation, um, would you like to share some of why that is significant and insignificant all at the same time? Um, in what way do you mean insignificant and insignificant? Well, I am, um, I have remained close to the tradition that I was raised in, which was the Church of God in right. Christ. Um, so I still frame of my theology um, within the context of being Pentecostal holiness. Right, right. Um, I do, um, if I if I can say so in fairness, I do believe that I'm fairly well read um, and that I am pretty of articulating why my stances are where okay. they are and um, where those stances differentiate from maybe others who are not Pentecostals mm-hmm. and from even those that are Pentecostals, because there are some places where there's a little bit of a distinction in personal theology, a little bit different from some of the people that you would assume that are um, along the same beliefs journey that I am. Right. So I'll let you, I'll let you speak for yourself on that context. Okay. Well, uh, you, you stated you grew up in the, Really, in Pentecostal circles, mine was uh, predominantly Baptist. Um, my father is, uh, has been a pastor of a church for as long as I can remember. 
um, but we have spent most of our time, uh, he spent most of his time pastoring a Baptist church. So um, for the longest time, that's sort of where my theology uh, centered on was in Baptist doctrine. Um, now, in all fairness, your dad was raised in holiness. Right. So he still kind of had that that foundational piece, I think. Right. Um, to how he framed a lot of it. So from a from a Baptist standpoint, I think a, a lot of that, and you can correct me, a lot of that was more polity than the theology piece, or do you see there being a mesh there? Or? I think it's, it's a little bit of both. I think it was theology and polity. Um, I know growing up, um, I would always ask, you know, I knew about, you know, family being raised holiness Pentecostal and then you know here we are in a Baptist church and I would always ask him how did that happen and it was always a combination of the two you know um, the one answer that stands out in my mind um, that he gave one time was it was kind of snarky but I think he actually meant it he was like well I just think that you know Baptists have the Bible right um, <laughs> you know and um, you know when I because he think that yeah so. so um but you know later on I, I would press him on that to um you know be a little bit more uh specific about what he meant by you know having the bible right and he would point out you know particular um doctrines that he felt um the baptists were closer to biblically than all the other denominations and um, those are the answers that I, um, you know, sort of stuck with, you know, one of them, which is sort of a sort of a, you know, a, a biblical standpoint and one of polity was for the longest time, he um, was not uh, real keen on women being in ministry. Um, and, um, you know, I remember um, when that sort of came his way when I was a kid. Uh, there were, you know, women preachers or teachers in our little town that I grew up in that would come to church, and he never had an issue with them speaking as long as it didn't cross over into what he felt like was preaching. And he would often, oh, well, actually all the time, he would not let them go into the pulpit, but he would have a lectern put down on the floor uh, or uh, on some other part of the um, on the stage for them to speak on. But um, then that changed um, right about the time my mom announced that she felt like she was called to preach. So um, it's know, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I would tease him about that. You know, I was like, well, wait a minute. You were supposed to be all, you know, anti-women in ministry. But, you know, things like that change, you know, as many things do over time. And um, so the other thing that um, he sort of uh, distanced himself from for the longest time, and that's changed also, was sort of the uh, more, how can I put it? Um, charismatic aspects of the Pentecostal church, um, you know, the speaking in tongues and so forth and so on and uh, all of that. He kind of, even though he grew up with that, he kind of never really 
got into that until later in his ministry. And once he did, he sort of started making his way out of the Baptist circles and more back to back to his roots. So, um, okay. Now, how does all of this? Because um, I want to, I want to get to the part where how how all of this his current frame. Well, um, um, well, this kind of back up because I've been talking about talking about. My, Dad and uh, not, I didn't answer your, your original question. Um, I uh, I went you went to uh, I believe um, was it ITC? Yes. Okay. Well, I went to this, which is seven denominations in right seven constituency denominations. Right. So. Well, I went to uh, the flagship seminary of the Southern Baptist Convention, which is Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in um, Louisville, Kentucky. And um, I was of the mind that um, if I was going to go to seminary, then I wanted to go to the one where I believed I was going to get the best uh, theological education that I could possibly get within, um, you know, within the region that I was uh, living. And so that was the one that my uh, dad suggested. So we ended up going, I ended up going there. So what, at the time that you decided to go to seminary, mm -hmm. what did you think was your journey and your path? I had no idea. Um, I had, no, had idea. no idea. But, but, but you felt like seminary was part yeah, of I that. Yeah, did. um, I did. Okay. I didn't really know um, what I was going to, I guess we say major in when I went to seminary. Um, I just felt like that was a place that I needed to be at, the, at that time in my life. And once I got there, um, whatever I was supposed to do would work itself out. And it did. Um, I, that was a place where I really was um, turned on to the educational aspects of the church, because when I look back on uh, my life up to that point, I'd always, the one thing that was consistent was I was always in some type of teaching role. And so I thought that by um, going into the educational department and getting my uh, Master's of Divinity in Christian Education, that would play to my strength. Um, so that's the path that I took um, when I um, went to seminary. I, I didn't want to take the pastor track because that was something that I knew from a lot of reflection and experience that I didn't have the um, the skills to to do, and it was I saw it at the time uh, as too important to sort of go through with on-the-job training. Um, you know, um, it was uh, it was just too it was just too important. Uh, just to go in because of ego and, you know, I want to be the pastor and in charge and all this kind of stuff. Um, I wanted to do something that I knew was my best fit. Uh, so I went to uh, Southern for that reason. And, um, you know, I went from there. So um, going in, you knew that was part of mm -hmm. your journey and um, you knew that you would um, walk it out and it would 
it would make more sense as you went. So um, what did that look like, seminary, as you um, took on, you said you knew pastoring was not your journey. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you are, I think you've already said that you are in education. You're right. Um, that has been for quite some time now. Your um, investment has been in education. But theologically, um, how did your journey shift coming out of seminary? Um, well, when I, when I entered uh, seminary, um, <laughs> I, I, had, I had no clue what, what it was going to be like. Um, you know, for, from my, you know, 22, 23-year-old mind at the time, it was, um, you know, for all I knew, it was just going to be like advanced, you know, Sunday school or Bible study. And I didn't. Yeah, I think that's what most people yeah. think is, oh, it's, you will just study the Bible a little exactly. bit more. <laughs> you know, I had. Learn a few Greek words exactly, here and there. And we'll exactly. You know, my, my dad went through mm-hmm. seminary and I watched him go through that process. And, um, you know, he, from from Sunday to Sunday, he never really, let's just put it this way, not detracting from his preaching or anything like that, because I think my dad's an awesome preacher. Um, he didn't, you know, hearing a seminary preacher preach and hearing my dad preach, he would never think that my dad went to seminary. Not that he doesn't know the Bible or anything like that. He just doesn't bring that aspect to his sermons or his teaching. Um, so my understanding of a seminary trained preacher was like, okay, here's a guy who's, you know, studied uh, the Bible and it's not too much different from what you hear from Sunday to Sunday or in Bible school or um, Bible study or Sunday school. But when I got to seminary and I think um, when I went to buy my books and I started seeing the titles of books with words that not only had I never heard before, but couldn't pronounce uh, at the time. I was like, what does any of this have to do with what I'm going to be doing in churches? Transubstantiation. Yeah, transubstantiation and prolegomena and all of these things. I'm just like, what in the world am I learning here? Um, Yeah, I I had someone ask me to to teach on um, the sacraments. And I said, I don't think you really want me to. Yeah. (laughs) And he's, no, 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 I, I really do. And that person was not raised Church of God in Christ. And I said, okay, so you do understand, you know, what we, he's so, okay, well, I want you to talk about the literal. I said, okay, but you do understand <laughs> yeah. that um, the Church of God in Christ theological stance is Zwinglian. And so it is not this literal um, transfer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want you to talk about how it's literally okay. But you do uh, like yeah. you know, and I knew a lot of times. I think what people assume is that we know how to say what they already know mm-hmm. they want to say just better. And it's like no, 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 no. Many other pieces right. um, to the information, and maybe we think about it too mm-hmm. much. But that's why we're theologians, because we think about theology. 
which is so very different um, from people who sit in a space where they just accept what has been told to them. They, they learn how to regurgitate mm-hmm. it, but not really fully to unpack it um, and really, you know, look at the pieces and talk about it and be able to explain it well. Um, you know, where a lot of people get into a glitch in conversation with me is they think that we're going to have a conversation until I get to something and they go, I don't know what you just said. Right. <laughs> and then I go, okay, let me see how I can say it. Okay. And so I start trying to work on analogy. Right. Yeah. But no, that's not what I meant. Okay. So, you know, and then we start, then the conversation becomes um, navigating, figuring out where we really are in the frame of what we believe. And I'll never forget um, one of the things that my dad did gave me that in the context of, okay, um, you really are probably more conservative than you think you are. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'm really not. And so he started laying out, well, what do you think about this? Well, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. And what do you think about and so when I gave him my answer, she says, okay, so this, 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 and this means that you're more on the conservative side. So I was like, oh, okay, well, right, exactly. <laughs> but I had not ever really framed that in, in the way that I think a lot of people, they just go for theology the way it's been given to them and they take that and you know, like people look at me like, why aren't you Baptist? Well, because I'm not right. Baptist. Like, is there a rule that says everybody should be a Baptist Democrat? I'm like, where's that memo? Right. I missed it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so comfortable in that frame. Right. Um, but that's, so, one of, that's one of the things that I noticed when I was in seminary. You know, you're talking about everybody is expecting you to, well, theologically, you know, they they basically stick to kind of what they know. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of what I, I I saw in seminary that was was um, was perplexing to me was that um, you know you get a bunch of you know you know at the time armchair theologians in a cafeteria talking, and you know we can all the subject is one thing, but if you were just a third person to uh, come up on the conversation you think that we're talking about 10 different things and everybody's talking right. about it from their own perspective um and that's what's kind of perplexing to me is that you know even within baptist circles um and i guess you can say this about any denomination of christianity or any religion is that um you know you have uh is the the theological thought is not monolithic and there really is no uh, for lack of a better word orthodoxy Uh, it's just you know there's these core principles that you have that you can call christianity or islam or buddhism but once you get outside of those core principles it's pretty much anyone's game and that's one of the things that and those become the talking points right that that make the distinction Right, and um, and then and then what it, what makes it even more uh, well from my point of view right now what makes it even more laughable is that you have all of these different um, 
viewpoints on the same subject and the people who you know ascribe to them are telling each other that the other is wrong and not biblically not biblically sound um and from my perspective I'm like well wait a minute you know here's a guy who or a young lady who you know believes the bible says this and she can go to a certain section or a few sections of the bible and biblically support her stand um but then the other person can go to another section point out how she's wrong and why they're right and again from a third person perspective you know you're left wondering okay so which one of them is right because they're both using the same source to justify and to, uh, their position and condemn the other so how do, how yeah, do you and- how do you, um, how do you uh, say who's right and who's wrong when both people are using the same tool to to support their their um, their particular perspective? And you know the analogy that I give because I mm-hmm. like analogies. Um, the analogy that I give to people when they bring that piece to me is I give the analogy of my mm-hmm. son and his. Um, you know, when he was very young, you know, two or three, of course, you know, everything just landed on the floor. And I would say to him, if something is important to you, you don't leave it laying on the floor. Mm -hmm. So at a later phase in his life, he's a little bit older and tennis shoes become. (laughs) Right. And I walk in the door one day and there are tennis shoes on my (laughs) kitchen table. And I say, um, why are your tennis shoes on my table? Well, mom, you said if something is important to me, it should not be on the floor. Okay, but your shoes that category. And so then we have to reframe the conversation to talk about what is appropriate for the floor, what is appropriate for the table, why your shoes, even though they're important to you, I know what I said, mm-hmm. but <laughs> I don't want your dirty shoes on the table where we Right. So I think a lot of people come to theology in that same kind of way. They take one statement and become so literal mm-hmm. with it that they cannot put it in the context of different time frames and different scenarios. Right. So a lot of times when when I have these conversations, I want to talk about what was the cultural presence, what was appropriate in that mm-hmm. context. And what was what was the difference in the spirit of the letter and the law right. of the letter? Because, you know, we have to come to all of those things. And to go back to the seminary piece, I'll never forget the first semester in seminary, the professor of Old Testament said, if your God cannot withstand inspection, what kind of God is your God? And I thought that was the best way to mm-hmm. articulate the fact that we should be able to talk about it. If if God is so much God that he becomes an undiscussable mm-hmm. topic, then there's already something that you feel like you need to protect God right. from. So we should be able to talk about God. We should be able to talk about theology mm-hmm. because I think, God can withstand the conversation. Right, right. And that was, that's kind of um, on that very point of, you know, 
not really having anyone, well, except for my dad, because I can talk to my dad about anything, but other than my dad, you know, not really having anyone to safely have this type of conversation mm. with. Important yeah. work. Um, you know, safely have this conversation with. Um, you know, I think a lot of the questions that I had um, that could have been answered by someone who was knowledgeable, uh, it, it kind of, you know, that, that missed me. And it misses a lot of people, too. Um, you know, you talk about, you know, uh, I, I think what your professor said, it's a nail on the head, is that, you know, in it's not just not just Christianity, but in many religions, things like doubt and questioning and scrutiny are um, are uh, prohibited. You know, you're you're not being faithful if you have doubts. You're not being faithful if you're scrutinizing what uh, the religion says. You're not being faithful if um, you know. You're doing any of these things. And there are a lot of people out there who have honest questions about what they're being taught, but they're afraid to ask. And so you have a lot of people, you know, sitting in the... Or they have asked and they were so mistreated for wanting to know. I mean, you have people who have left the church uh, behind that type of thing. But you also have, and I think this is probably a larger group, you probably have a lot of people sitting in the pews who have all of these questions and they just, you know, they're there because, you know, they'll be ostracized from their family or their social group. If, you know, they stand up and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I'm feeling this anymore. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, making that type of statement, you know, um, can cause a lot of people, social and emotional harm and has. I mean, families have been torn apart about it, so on and so on. So if you can't have conversations about this safely with the people who are close to you, um, you know, that that uh, that does a lot of emotional damage because you're holding it in. But um, like I said, I always had an outlet with my, my father. Now we get into some knockdown, drag out conversations. But at the end of the conversation, you know, he's my dad and I'm his son, and that, that doesn't change. Yeah, I think I can say um, pretty much the same thing with my dad. You know, we we definitely, you know, took a lot of perspectives on things differently, but we were always able to talk about it because my dad is part of what gave me, he would always take um, life examples and and make these analogies and comparisons mm-hmm. to um, situations in the Bible. And I've found that even in um, my sermon development, that's a huge part between what is happening to the individuals in the biblical text and what that frame or that thought process or that journey looks like in our modern day context and how we interact with the situation life, you know, the, the integrity, the character, the fear or whatever is playing out in the person from the biblical mm-hmm. text, 
well, those frames actually happen for us too. It's part of humanity. So how we walk that out, and that was given to me by my dad. He always would kind of frame things for right. me in, you know, situations in the Bible and say, now look at how that compares. Now, if they say that they believe this, this, and this, but what is it that they're really doing that stands for? And for him, that was um, the widows and the fatherless. Mm -hmm. You know, okay, we say that we take this Mm -hmm. literally, but do our actions take it literally? So I grew up watching it being very literal, very philanthropic. Um, Because the other thing about our family is our family is extremely Right. I think uh, the the old adage that applies to our family is that sometimes the only Bible people read is the life you live. Yeah. And I can, you know, I can remember um, both of the twins, you know, when we were growing up, the twins saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. And that is that humbling moment when the humanity um, becomes more important than the principles. Um, And I think that is, that is one of the things that I wish that I could do something to articulate on a larger platform when it comes to um, the issues of uh, immigrants and illegal immigrants. Um, I think if we address, yes, there are policies and procedures in place, but there's also human lives. There's also stating the community. Right. Um, when you've done for what, for the least of what, when, you know, Mm -hmm. um, for the, for people that can't do anything back. Right. um, There's a sense of humanity for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that's, uh, that's one of the things, and I'm not saying this about all of Christianity, but it seems like that um, at least here in the United States, I don't know about anywhere else and maybe some other places, but, and I live here in the United States and I only get bits and pieces about what happens in Christianity around the world. But here in the United States, it seems like the, uh, the uh, for lack of a better word, the humanism of the Christian religion has been ripped mm-hmm. out and replaced with, you know, consumerism and selfishness um, and and that's just, you know, what branding, don't forget yeah, image, image branding, image <laughs> branding and personality cults and all of those, all, you know, all those buzzwords. And then you, you have, you know, the, and what happens is the entire, the entire religion, it, that becomes its face. And, mm. you know, if uh, somebody said, that's become what the outside world sees. Right. You know, you, you, you tell somebody that you're a Christian or a believer or whatever, and immediately they have this image that, you know, you're money hungry or you're insane or crazy or something's wrong with you mentally. Um, and so that that public face that, um, you know, that we see now really doesn't speak for, um, you know, what's going on uh, in these little small churches, in these little small towns. Even some of the big cities, boots on the ground. The boots on the ground. People are being um, helped, and you know uh, all this kind of stuff. 
Well, to use your dad as an example, um, I called just calling my uncle one day and, you know, I can always tell when he answers the phone when he's in his pastoral mode. And, you know, I, you know, is this a good time to talk? And he says, well, actually, um, I'm painting the church member's house right (laughs) now. So let me call you back. And I thought to myself, how many in this day and age Mm -hmm. really go out and, like, clean up the members' yards and paint the house and, you know, it's just such a different frame. So when you say that you're called to the ministry and you're called, to, mm-hmm. you know, what does that really look like for you? Because are you just called to be on the hold the mic end or are you really called to interact with the people whose lives you impact? I mean, there's so many different um, things you can do in ministry that don't require your yeah. But I think it says so much when the people who are the pulpiteers are also doing so many other right. things that are part of the real life. Right, right. And if if I if I if now excuse me if I'd ever gone down the pastor track, I think um, you know I would do my best to maintain a church that was. Had a congregation no larger than, you know, two or three hundred people, and if it ever got larger than that, then I think it would be my responsibility as pastor to uh, raise up some men and women behind me who could take and start their own ministries. You know, not necessarily connected with mine, but like, look, you know, I want to be a pastor. I don't want to be this person who is you know, unreachable, untouchable, um, you know, sitting up in my ivory tower saying, you know, look at the thousands of people that I'm leading. I don't see how anyone can pastor like that. I mean, maybe they can do it. I don't know. I don't see. But, you know, you got a church of 10,000 members. How accessible are you? You know, and what are you really doing other than standing in in a podium Sunday after Sunday and running basically what boils down to a company you know is that is that Mm -hmm. really what people are called to do nowadays is to basically build these religious corporations and delegate that is so popular now though that is so um that is so the model you know Mm -hmm. now and and i will say in defense i go to a church that's around two thousand people um, and there, there are definitely um, uh, quite a few people that I know by name because the, the more you interact and the more, and I've been there 10 years, the more you interact, you know, in smaller group settings, you get a chance to talk to people more and, you know, learn them, like you see them, but you get to actually know them and know something about them. But there are a lot of people <clears throat> like uh, someone passed in my church last week and I asked somebody, I was like, who? because the announcement went out and I was like I can't put a face with it and I was like you know I know so many people by their face and maybe not their name mm-hmm. um, so at this point I still have that um, okay so we're chasing I, squirrels now <laughs> oh yeah we definitely are and 
I think I think in 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 light of chasing squirrels, I think this is a good stopping mm-hmm. point. Um, and I want us to continue the conversation because um, there you still haven't got to the aha moment of our conversation. So I think we'll save that for for the next okay. go round. Um, and let this be kind of like a good stopping okay. point for All today. Right. That's Is that fair. fair? Okay. Well, it has been a pleasure, and um, I'm not sure with the two of our schedules how soon we'll get around to doing the next episode, hopefully sooner rather than yeah. later. And we definitely have a surprise to give you um, in this conversation. I'm going to hold it. I'm like a little kid. Like, I want to tell it now. I want you to know now. But we're going to save it. We're going to do our best to save it. So for right now, we'll say goodbye. And thank you for listening. Ready. Thank you.